We're going to continue on looking through our, um, our statement of beliefs in the Constitution. Um, the first one, and I like the way that they wrote these for the most part because they, they kind of build on each other a little bit, right? In week one, two weeks ago, we set the foundation, right? The Word of God, right? The Word of God is the um, infallible, spoken from God, given to men and possibly women, we don't know because there are a few books of the Bible, we don't know who wrote them, to write most of them letters or histories or whatever, and God inspired them. And it is without error in its original manuscripts and is our basis for all of conduct in life and faith, right? It's our foundation. Then last week, we talked about the Trinity, this odd thing that we will never fully understand. I don't think we're going to understand it when we get to heaven because, to be frank, we'll never have God's mind because if we did, we would be God, and we're not. So I don't think we'll ever actually be able to fully understand the concept of the Trinity, right? One God, three persons. And remember, we've talked about last week. Make sure you use the right terminology. Stick with the word persons. It's the safest one. And we talked about the different roles, even though they are all equal, the different roles that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit play, and we defended their divinity. It's important that we started with those two, not just because they are one and two in our Constitution, but because... Believing that the word of God is the infallible word of God and is our basis for everything in life is our foundation. If we don't believe that, then I don't care what you believe about the rest of it because how can you believe the rest of it? So that's our foundation. Then we talked about the Trinity. Let's talk about the God that we serve who laid everything out. Because if we don't believe in God, then we probably don't believe the word of God so we don't believe the rest of it. Today we're going to talk about what I believe is God's chief goal in the lives of humanity today. We're going to talk about regeneration, regeneration. We're going to talk about this a little later on, but I want to say it now because I might forget later even though I've written it down. There are three key parts, and it's not on your note sheet, so if you think this is good, you might want to write it down. If you don't think it's good, then just forget that I've said it. Three key parts to regeneration. Salvation, renewal, and glorification. Three key parts to regeneration. We're going to talk about all three of them as we walk through this. As usual, there's a bunch of verses we're going to flip to. But first, we're going to start in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Who here, by a show of hands, knows this verse by heart? It's one of the first ones you learn in Sunday school to learn about how bad you are, right? Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So uplifting. Amen. Flip over if you would. And of course, they're all up there as well. To Romans 6, 23. How many of you know this verse by heart? Again, it's the second verse you learn in third verse, because the first, fourth. The first one you learn, of course, is right, Genesis 1-1. Then you got to learn John 3-16, which just confuses you. So you got to figure out how bad you are first before you can understand that. Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, that's way more uplifting than Romans 3-23. That's a good one. Flip with me, if you would, over to the book of John chapter 1, one of the most confusing chapters in the whole of Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh, and the Word was with God, and yada, yada, yada. You're like, what does that mean? I don't know. I've learned a little bit. Romans chapter 1, and of course it's up there. 
verses 12 through 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Lastly, if you would, flip with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus comes after 2 Timothy. If you want a key to learn where Thessalonians and Timothy and Titus are, they're in alphabetical order, right in, right in, right in a row. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Timothy, 2, Thirds, uh, 2 Timothy, Titus. Now you have to figure out where they are in the Bible, but there you go. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Oh, I'm in Titus chapter 2. I need to flip one more page. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 here. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. There's that renewing word we'll talk about in a little bit. It'll be up there. Here's what we have written in our Constitution regarding the doctrine of regeneration. We believe that all persons are sinners by nature and by choice. That's important. We're going to talk about that. I lost it. There it is. And are therefore under condemnation. We believe that those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. All right. Let's talk about this. Number one on your note sheets. Number one, sin and death. Sin and death. I said, and it's possibly, it's one of the most important parts of our doctrinal definition, right? Everybody is a sinner by nature and by choice. Let's talk about that. First off, everyone has sinned, right? Romans 3.23. For all have sinned. It doesn't really leave room for any outsiders, right? Jesus, of course, is the only one who has never sinned. Everyone else in the whole of history, whether you are a day-age theorist who believes the earth has been around millions of years, or a young earther who believes it's between six and 7,000 years, or somewhere in between, everybody has sinned. It started with Adam and Eve, and it will not end until after the millennial reign of Christ. So rest assured, there's at minimum 1,007 years left of sin still in the world at the given moment you are in. Millennial reign of Christ plus the seven-year tribulation plus however long he lets Satan loose on the earth after the millennial reign of Christ. So you've got a while left with sin. Not you necessarily, because once you go to heaven, you're done with sin. But it's important to note that everybody has sinned. You see, oftentimes we try, to, we try to push our sin away or we try to be like, well, it's not that bad or oh, I'm not that bad. Here's the thing. If you can sit there and say, Pastor, I don't know if I've ever sinned. I haven't done it. You're lying. So that's a sin. So there you go. Welcome to the club. You've joined the rest of humanity. Here's the thing. Let's talk about nature and choice. I want to do uh, point two underneath sin and death there before I go to point one. Nature and choice. You... From the moment you are conceived are underneath condemnation because it is passed down by Adam's line. It is passed down through the male. Why is that important? Who 
in the whole of human history did not have an earthly father that walked on the earth. Jesus, he had a mother. He did not have a father. So he did not have the sin of Adam imputed upon him like the rest of us do. Hence, he could die a perfect death because all he had to do was not sin by choice, and he didn't. You have sin in your life strictly because you are born. Strictly because of that. Now, here's the great thing. We believe, I, I am a, and we'll talk about this, we can talk about this at a, at a later point if you'd like to. I am a four-point Calvinist. The point I do not agree with is that Christ died only for those who would accept him. I don't think that. I think he died for everybody, knowing that most would not accept him. But I think he died for everybody. And I believe scripture points to the fact that Christ's death covered sin in everybody. What do I mean by that? Christ's death and resurrection covered the sin of Adam in everybody's life. So, pastor, if I live a perfect life, I should go to heaven, right? I lived perfect. Not quite, because have you ever lived a perfect life? You see, here's the thing. At three years old, when your mom looks at you and you push something off the, the, you know, the tray table or whatever, and she picks it up, puts it on the table on, on it, and goes, don't do that again, and you look her in the eyes and go, welcome to the club. You've now sinned like the rest of us because you disobeyed. Pastor, I didn't have the willful choice. Uh-huh, sure you didn't. You might not remember having the willful choice because you were three, but you did it. We sin from the time we're two or three years old. Yes, a one-year-old doesn't sin. I agree with you. <laughs> I haven't had a one-year-old yet. Maybe I'll change my tune when we do, should the Lord uh, allow Maddie and I to. That's a different thing. Um, so you have sin by nature that I believe is covered by the blood of Christ in every human. You have sin by choice that is only covered by the blood of Christ if you accept his free gift. Nature and choice. You can't get away from it. Now, there are two types of sin really in the world. We talked about these once before, so I'm just going to mention them briefly. Omission and commission, right? Commission is you choose to sin. I choose to steal this. I choose to lie. I choose to disobey. I choose to lust. I choose this, whatever, right? I choose. It's the active. Sins of omission, I choose to not do. Think Jonah, when God was all like, hey, I need you to go to Nineveh, and he's like, no, no, I'm going to go the other way. Sins of omission are when you disobey what God has told you to do. Right? Always think of Jonah. He's the, right, he's the perfect example for us. Okay? The sad thing is, and the hard thing for us to realize is, we are completely and utterly without excuse when it comes to sin. I was reading some stuff this morning, and it was like, isn't it unfair that I get burdened with Adam's sin? No, it's not. Sin destroyed the whole of creation. It touched everything. Until that moment, everything was perfect. Sun, moon, stars, planets, other universes, right? And I'm not going to get into if there's life on other planets. I'm not going to go there. Our planet, humanity, plants, animals, all of it was perfect until Adam and Eve decided they were hungry. 
and then the whole of creation was tainted. And Adam didn't just start dying a physical death that day. The important thing is he died a spiritual death that disconnected the whole of humanity from God. It wasn't just him. It wasn't just Eve. It wasn't just their direct offspring. It disconnected the whole of humanity from God. And we are left without excuse. And we are left without a way back to God. Until you read some other verses. Point number two. Gift of God. Gift of God. And you say, Pastor, you haven't really talked much about regeneration yet. You're right. Because we need to set the stage for why we need regeneration. You need regeneration because you are a vile, evil creature. I don't care how great a person you think you are. You are an evil, disgusting, vile person. And the sooner you come to grips with that and come to accept that, the sooner you can start on the path to regeneration. Because once you've accepted that, you can accept the fact that you need a savior. And there's no way for you to save yourself. So God gives a free gift, right? Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. There is a payment to be made. You've earned it, right? I always found that word strange. It's not the, the, the payment. It's, not, it's the wages, right? If you work, you get a wage. It's what you have earned. So here's the great thing, church. You have earned death. That's what you get for your hard life's work. Death. Not just physical, spiritual death. So God says, however, but, I've said this before, but it's been a while, so I'm going to say it again. One of the best words in scripture is but. Because it's usually followed by God saying, I got this. You've messed up, but. You need a way out, but. You don't think that there's salvation from this, but. And then even better when it's followed by God. But God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord and Savior. It's a free gift. When I was a kid, I used to be like, you know, salvation is 99% God, 1% me, because I got to accept it. <laughs> Isn't it nice that we as humanity like to try to take credit for things? We can't put our pride aside at all and just be like, no, no, I have nothing to do with this. And God's up there in heaven and he's laughing on his throne and he goes, no, no, it is 0% you. It is 100% me. We read that in, in, in John. It is not by the will of man, but by the will of who? God. It is the will of God that chooses salvation for you. We're not going to talk too much about predestination today. We've talked about it before, back when we were walking through the book of Ephesians. But the fact of the matter is, you did not choose God. God chose you. And if I may be so bold, I don't understand why. I know all of you. I know me. Why did he choose us? Wouldn't it be much better to have Bill Gates? He's smarter than us. He has more money than us. Couldn't he do more for the kingdom of God than you could? 
not what God wants you to do, though. Because he's chosen you. Before time began, he looked down and said, I will choose this soul. And I will choose this soul. And for some reason, he chose you and he chose me. And I don't get it. But he did. And there's no way that I can escape this death except through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And there's no way any of you can do it either. There's no work that you can do. There's no amount of money you can put in an offering plate. There's no amount of, 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 of rummage sales you can help at. The amount of times you bring stuff for the cafe, you're not going to get to heaven and there's a checklist. No, there's one check. Did you accept Christ? That's it. That's the only criteria. Quite frankly, if Adolf Hitler... One of the most evil men to ever walk this earth, the minute before he died, truly accepted Christ, he would be in heaven right now. Now, I don't think that he is, but he would be in heaven. And the angels would be rejoicing that another soul, a soul that killed millions of God's chosen people, they would be rejoicing. And so would those people that went to heaven. I don't think that he did. But quite frankly, it doesn't matter what you've done. It matters, have you accepted Christ? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't live the right life. We're not going to talk about that today. A lot of these ones that will come in the next following weeks and months do talk about how we're supposed to live and stuff like that. But today is not really about that as much as it is just regeneration. Before regeneration can begin, you need to understand those two important, crucial details. You are a horrible, vile person in need of salvation. God is the only way to that salvation. That's it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's it. Once you accept those two, then the process of regeneration begins. Number three on your note sheets, regeneration. Number three, regeneration. In 1 John, we read that it says that those who, uh, I want to read it exactly. Hold on one second. Let me flip back to it. But as many as received him, and then John was like, they're going to be confused by that. Let me, let me clarify. Those who believe in his name, what does it mean to receive God? This is the start of the process of regeneration, right? I mentioned there are three parts. This is salvation. The process of regeneration or sanctification, begins at your salvation. When you accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not as somebody to tag along with you, not as the co-pilot, as your Lord and Savior. Here's the thing, church, and if you're listening at home, I say church a lot, I'm including everybody in this. You are and will always be a slave to something. Choose wisely who you are a slave to. Because to be a slave to Christ is way easier than being a slave to your sin, to yourself, to this world. So you receive him as your personal Lord and Savior, right? Maybe you pray the prayer if you need to do that, right? We know that the prayer isn't what actually saves us, but it does help us to put us in the right mindset and the right thing. It's all about where's your heart? Did you give it over to him? Then you have renewal, right? In Titus there. Renewed by the Spirit. This is one of the key things that the Spirit does for us, right? We talked about it last week. He renews us daily. 
You see, sanctification, and I'm using sanctification and regeneration interchangeably, okay? Is a long process, lifelong process. I was talking to somebody the other day. It might have been my aunt and my grandma, I don't remember. But I said, man, it's a great thing I'm not the same person I was at 16. It's a great thing I'm not the same person I was at 21. And I'm praising God that at 30, I'm not the same person I am now. And should the Lord tarry long enough at 50, I won't be the same person I am now. Lord willing, I'll be better than I am now. Maybe I won't have quite as much anger. Maybe I'll have a better handle on my pride than I do now. I don't know exactly what I'm going to look like, but I know that the process of sanctification is a lifelong one. From the moment you accept Christ till the moment he raptures you or calls you home through death, either way, you are being sanctified. You are being regenerated every single day. It starts in your mind, right? Romans 12. It starts in your mind, and then it goes throughout the rest of you. And then finally, the process of regeneration gets its end when you get to heaven and you receive your glorified body. When you are made exactly as you are supposed to be. I'm hoping when I get there, I'm about 40 pounds lighter. A little bit more muscle on the, you know, on the biceps a little bit. Four or five inches taller. It'd be nice to be six foot, you know. I don't care about the full head of hair. If I can be bald, I'm good with that. It's okay. I know this much. When I get to heaven, I won't have to worry about how much bread I eat. I know my knees won't hurt me every day. My tennis elbow won't act up anymore. That'll be nice. All these scars that are covering my arms and hands from the various mistakes I have made throughout my life, they won't be there anymore. This birthmark right here on my hand that my sisters used to make fun of me of, they used to tell me it was dirty and I never showered and I'd get so mad at them, that won't be there anymore. These teeth that are gone that had to get pulled back, that'll be nice. You know, quite frankly, I'll probably look pretty much like I do today. But there'll be a shine about me. You see, the Bible's not clear what our glorified bodies look like. I'm a personal believer that you look like you're in the prime of your life, 20 to 30-ish years old. The prime of your physical health, right? 20 to 30-ish years old. Here's the thing that I know. It doesn't matter. Maybe we're all just babies crawling around up there. Maybe we're all 99 years old, but here's the thing. If we are, we still won't need a walker. I don't know what we're going to look like, but I know that in that moment, this life where I have physical pain, I have mental pain, I have spiritual pain, and I know all of you do too, it will be gone, wiped away forever. And the process of regeneration will come to its end, and God looks at you, Lord willing, he looks at you and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on home. Come on in. I'm sure you have people you can't wait to see when you get there. We don't have an idea really of what glory is. But here's the thing that I know. This glorified body, not this one obviously. This one's not. Whatever my glorified body looks like, it will cannot compare in any way to being surrounded by the glory 
of God. Wow, Sam, you shine. You can't even see it because the glory of God shines all around us. And here's the thing, church. Here's the thing. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. You're wrapping up here. I had, if I may use the the terminology, and I mean this, a hellish night. I was up for hours last night. If I may be so bold as to tell you what was happening, I was in and out of the bathroom all night long, including this morning around 9 o'clock as some of you were arriving. And I have one reason why that happened. Because this morning, church, not just me, but all of you are presenting the gospel and being presented the gospel. You see, the fact of the matter is, this book is incredibly important, but if you don't use it for what it's supposed to be used for, its primary goal, your changed life, it means nothing to you. Knowing that God, right, is the triune figurehead with with three different persons all acting equally but with different divine roles, knowing that doesn't matter. It doesn't. What matters is, have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you on the process of regeneration? You're either on the road or you're not. There's no, I'm going to take a little break. Nope, that doesn't work that way. You're either walking down this road or you're not. And if I may be so bold, I would wager every dollar I've ever made or seen in this lifetime that somebody listening, whether you are in these pews right now or at home or on, are you on TikTok or Instagram today? On TikTok. You don't know Christ. And I'm begging you from the bottom of my heart. Accept the free gift of God. It is the single most important decision you will ever make. Every other word that I could say doesn't matter if you don't take that moment and change your life. The road is hard. But it's worth it. And lastly, to those of you either listening or here who have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, may I be so bold as to ask, why are you hiding it? I was talking to somebody earlier this week. Let me put into perspective something for you. When somebody dies without Christ, they spend eternity in damnation. I don't care who they are. Share Christ with them because they need it. A neighbor, a friend, co-worker, a family member, I, I don't care who it is. Share Christ with them. Who cares if they think you're a crackpot? Because if they're in heaven, it's worth it. To be frank, if they don't go to heaven, it's still worth it because at least you tried. And you never know what somebody's turning point's going to be. Do not grow weary. Keep sharing. God is faithful. He's going to use you mightily if you just let him. If I just let him. Would you pray with me? Father, the process of regeneration is such an incredible one. The fact that we can still go to heaven after 
blatantly turning our back on you is such an incredible thing. And I don't want to downplay that and I don't want us to forget that because, man, that should just lift our hearts, bring joy to our lives every minute, every moment that we're walking. We are going to heaven. We will be surrounded by your glory, Father. But God, as well, I know there are people who are hearing me right now or, not or, and pastors across this world that do not know you. Father, maybe they've been to church for 40 years and they think they know you. Maybe this is the first time they've ever heard your word. I don't know. But I know that there are people who hear who don't know yet, who don't know you. And Father, I'm asking that you would work in their hearts. Soften them and turn them to you, Father. And lastly, for those of us that do know know you, I'm asking, Father, that you, you would give us the boldness we need to speak your word, to share Christ with everyone we meet and everywhere we go. Help us to hold tightly to that hope that we have of spending eternity with you, but not so tightly that others can't see it. We want to share it, Father. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen and amen.